I'm Claire Sands, a keen writer of words, and every week I write a blog on the silentwhy.com website, and then I read it as a podcast episode like this one, just in case there's anyone out there that still loves a good old-fashioned reading experience. And I call them my whys, because, well, they're my whys. Permission to grieve. It's a Thursday morning, and I often write and record my My Why episodes in the two days preceding them being released. I like to write something that's on my heart at the time. At the moment, as I look out of my cold UK window, the sky is blue, which is rare here in winter. One of our neighbours is in his garden, and I can see his breath as it escapes his mouth, so I know it's cold out there again. January and February are particularly difficult months for a lot of people in the UK, because the weather is not just cold, it's dark and grey. And when I say it's cold, it's not like the cool kind of cold where it hits minus 15. It just hovers around minus one or two degrees. If you ever see a Brit pointing out patches of blue sky in between the clouds a lot, it's because it's such a welcome sight for us. We long for it, wait for it. The other morning I sent a photo of our lounge at 9am to a friend in Australia who's in the middle of their very hot summer. It was so dark you couldn't see a thing in the room. Partly because I was facing the window, but you get the point. I'll post the photo on the blog. As you hopefully know already, the Silent Why podcast is all about finding all the different varieties of loss, to show that it's not just about bereavements that we grieve. One of the reasons this is so close to my heart is that I've felt the feeling of loss many times in my life. But smaller losses. I'm putting smaller in inverted commas there because the size is relative to who's feeling it and when. And although they might not have the derailing impact of losing a human life, they are nevertheless hard to endure. Each one in isolation could be considered just part of life, but stack them up and you can find yourself in a much bigger loss situation. And this morning it was a few of them ganging up together that was playing on my mind. I'll give you some examples of things I've recognised as loss in my life, whether at the time or looking back. And I'd like to add that I have no regrets over these things. I don't live like that. I believe I followed my path and my heart in all areas. But it's important to see a difference between regret and feeling of loss. Here's the obvious one, that we couldn't have children, and this will be a loss that will shape my whole life, and I really don't see a way around that. But then there was the expectation that if we didn't have children, we'd have more disposable money to enjoy other things in life, which led on to my next loss, not having a career that I found and loved. Like many women I know, and some men, I just never found my slot. I probably had it in the back of my mind that it wasn't worth entering a career that needed six or seven years training when I was 20 because it might get interrupted by children and at that age I assumed I'd want to stay home to raise kids. So no regrets there. Then as I looked at jobs I was interested in, one of them was a career as a guide dog mobility instructor working with dogs and blind people. It needed sacrifices that I couldn't make at the time. Moving to London for a position that became available for training wasn't feasible when I was living in West Yorkshire with a fiancé who had a promising career starting at the BBC. And I happily chose to be near him instead. No regrets. When my husband's job moved to Gloucestershire 15 years ago, we didn't know how long we would be staying here, so I took a part-time job locally at a vet's to bring in some money and work in an area that I loved, animals. Plus it gave us cheap vet bills for a while with our dog and rabbit. Knowing I was good with admin, organisation and communication, I followed that job into another one at a large church doing PA and operational work. But, well, that was hard on a number of levels. And if you've ever worked for a charity or a religious organisation, I think you'll already know why, because they all share similar traits. Then I started to lose energy, drive and self, and for five years we couldn't work out why. I struggled through two more jobs in PA work and marketing, doing social media, copywriting, proofreading, all areas I enjoy and can do well but physically could only manage part-time. 
Then there was ongoing infertility issues in the background. And along the way, I lost health, brain function, energy, income, relationships, self-esteem and self-confidence. Since 2016, to work out what was going on with me, I've had two lots of surgery, seen nine different doctors, consultants or specialists, have over 30 pages of A4 and appointments, notes and medications, seen a GP at least 40 times, had at least 10 blood tests, tried 11 different medications and treatments, tried measuring blood pressure, changing diet, eliminating foods, exercise, grounding, rest, stopping work, kefir, chiropractors, vitamin injections, the list goes on. I'm not even sure what all the losses are associated to these, but I remember feeling a real low point when my stomach wasn't tolerating anything except the blandest of food and being forced to turn down an offer of cake and feeling like, right there at that moment, it was the bottom of the pit. Further afield in relationships, we were also navigating our friends starting to have children and the shift in those relationships, my brother battling through cancer, all of our grandparents dying, our dog dying, who had been more of a comfort and a stress release to me than I realised, and then moving house 48 hours after he died. Just want to point out at this bit, as I glance out of the window, the sky is now full of dark grey mauve cloud and the blue has gone. How symbolic. There was one point in my life when I remember sitting in our new rented house, which was lovely, but feeling like I'd lost everything that kept me grounded except my husband. Everything had shifted or changed. Our little family dynamic, the four walls around me, and the person I was used to being. It turned out life without children wasn't all holidays and last-minute weekends away and nights in hotels and shopping in Waitrose. That's a fancy supermarket in the UK. And at this point, you start to feel like you're letting your husband down too. Yet as a composed, organised, doesn't-fall-apart person, I literally wouldn't have even known how to fully fall apart or show it. I'm the dependable one, the one that people need to be strong, the one that's there for others when they're going through stuff. I wouldn't have known how to change that or even explain it. Plus, I didn't realise how much hormones were starting to control my brain at this point. So all those depressing facts aside, I started to realise more recently all the losses I'd encountered and worked through. And it made sense that I wasn't always able to show up in the way I wanted to for others. Internally, I mean. Physically, I was still trying to do all I wanted to do for those around me, whether it was new mums with babies, family commitments, work, church, neighbours. But internally, I was suffering, and I didn't realise it till much later. And that's when I started to get more passionate about the losses that people feel that aren't on display, that they battle through silently. I especially have a soft spot for those who don't know how to stop and grieve or understand their losses. Slowly, as PMDD, the condition I was diagnosed with, took hold and I was out of work completely, I was forced to rest. I didn't have the energy or the brain clarity to do much else. I was forced to sit and I'd like to say contemplate, but as my brain wasn't functioning on a normal level, that wasn't really possible. It was more of an endurance through each day, bearing the anger or sadness that descended. So I learned to communicate it instead to keep my marriage on track and help Chris understand what was going on. If you've ever been in a room of people you know well, but can't think of a single thing to say, and everything inside you is blank, when normally it's the easiest thing in the world for you, then you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't experienced your body doing that to you, then trust me, it's not fun. And I'm an introvert anyway, so there's nothing I love more than watching rather than interacting. The reason I'm dwelling on this is because I still get days when all this stuff comes forward and I'm left feeling the loss and the struggle to find things to celebrate. I get stuck knowing how to give myself permission to grieve these losses and the time lost, which was a huge chunk of my 30s, if not all of them, in one way or another. For some reason, giving yourself permission to grieve losses that are more hidden, or that others can't see or understand, feels so much harder, because to grieve them might mean you have to explain them. And well, well, you just don't want to do that, or maybe you don't feel you can. On Instagram this week, I saw a post that stood out to me. I'll put a screen grab on the blog. 
It said on the text, it's not about how old her grandma was, but rather how much she loved and now misses her. And it struck me, it doesn't matter what the loss is or how others view it. If something feels like a loss to you, then it's a loss and it needs grieving. It doesn't matter how ridiculous that might seem. We've all watched something on TV or the internet that made us cry, that's touched us in some way. Chances are it was linked to a loss. Ever shown someone that clip only to find they don't react at all to it? That's because we're all different in what we feel and empathise with. In the same way it's dangerous to compare griefs, it's dangerous to assume the level of grief. Loss is loss. Much as this might anger some people, I'm going to say it anyway, because it's the reality of life. To some people, losing their rabbit is going to be as traumatic to them as losing a human is to someone else. Hear me out. I'm using rabbit because most of us identify with the loss of a cat or dog to a degree, and I think people are more judgmental on other animals like rabbits. We had one, and his character was no less than the dog's, and even though we adopted him when he was abandoned, old and sick, and only had him a year, it was a sad loss. Now, I'm not saying this is right, because it's not how the world is intended to be. In the right world, a rabbit wouldn't compare to a human at all, because we'd all be secure in family units and understand the value of a human relationship versus an animal relationship. But that's not the world we're in. And if you're able to grieve a rabbit as a long-eared animal and not a human, then count yourself as blessed, because that's been your life. That you haven't needed a rabbit to step up and provide the love, comfort, security and companionship that a person needs is a huge benefit to you. I have an adopted auntie that's 103 in May. We sort of adopted her into the family. It wasn't that she was adopted. She's been in my life since before I was born, when she met my pregnant mum, just after her husband died. She was unable to have children herself due to a hysterectomy at a young age, unexpectedly. She was like a fifth grandparent to me, and when I couldn't have children, I realised the preciousness of our relationship and the role model that she was to building a busy, eventful life, even while living alone. There's never been a time when she hasn't been overjoyed to see me arrive, and when I was at university, I regularly jumped on three trains to get across London and kip on the floor of her lounge and study there, while being supplied with great food. She's the last lovely old person I'm related to, even though I'm not. And in the absence of grandparents, I feel like the loss of her will cement them all together for me. Ashley Montague said, I want to die young, at a ripe old age. Covid has meant my auntie's been shut in her home, which she moved into when she was 98. And slowly everything she's enjoyed is being taken away. Socialising, freedom, shopping, reading, as her eyesight deteriorates, and now phone calls as her ears and mind slowly go. Last night I phoned her, she lives near my parents, three hours from where we live, and for the first time she was unable to really hear me at all. She knew it was me and was delighted to hear my name, as usual, grateful for any contact, but then she couldn't hear anything else and I was left trying to tell her that we're thinking of her and miss her, and I just hoped the message got through. I hung up heartbroken that another step had been taken towards me losing her. There's an African proverb that says, when an old man dies, a library burns to the ground. Now people will say she's ready to die. She says it herself. People will say she's had an amazing life. She has, considering, if you discount losing everyone you're related to and watching your friends die. In fact, it's not that she's had an amazing life, it's that she's built one despite what she's been through. But does that mean the grief is easier? Because it doesn't feel like it's going to be easier because of any of that. Losing a human from this planet is always sad, isn't it? We are all here, who knows for how long, and then we're gone. No one lives forever. We often lose a grandparent when we're young, or that's the way it's supposed to be. So maybe the loss of it is minimised somewhat because our parent loses a parent and that's seen as a greater, more direct loss. But what if we're adults when we lose grandparents? What if that relationship is so special to us as an adult that the loss is felt more keenly? 
Does it matter at that point that they were old or lived a good life? Since when has that ever made a loss more bearable in the moment? Sure, it might be what helps you over the grief at some point or helps you process it, but it doesn't minimise it. You'd never say that of a child. Well, they had a great life. All the best bits, really. No stress of being an adult or dating or mortgages or climate change stresses. That would be seen as heinous. Maybe it's because it's out of the natural order. We put up the expectation that a parent is never supposed to bury a child. Yet millions do every year. And if that was the case, does that mean a married couple that are separated by death two years after marrying is more devastating than a couple that are married for 70 years before one of them dies? If we're honest, isn't it the couples married for decades that are separated that make our hearts ache more? Thomas Adams said, Death is as near to the young as to the old. Here is all the difference. Death stands behind the young man's back, before the old man's face. All this to say that ultimately loss is loss. They can't be compared, and we should never judge them, even if we can't fully comprehend it. We have to remember the filter we lose losses through is not unbiased. It's based on your own circumstances, your own family setup, and your own losses. So if you're feeling sad over something that doesn't feel like it's yours to feel sad about, that's okay too. Recognise those feelings. Why are you connecting with it? It wouldn't feel sad to you if on some level you weren't connecting with the loss. For some people, moving house is a huge loss. For others, it's just bricks. For some, changing jobs, even if it's their decision, is a huge loss. For others, it's onwards and upwards. For some, losing a grandparent or a parent is something they'll never get over. For others, it's the end of a life well lived. All these viewpoints are valid. And because not everyone will understand, sometimes you have to make it your own little private grieving space and know that it's okay to not let in those that can't or won't get it. Only you will walk your journey, so only you can decide how and when and how long you stop along the way to mourn. Ha! Look at that. There's actually blue sky again outside the window. As I was pondering this subject and wondering whether to write about it this morning, my friend sent me an Instagram post knowing I would appreciate it, and I'll put a link on the blog. It was seeing this post that sealed my subject for the day and the thoughts I was having. In the post from Poet Sew It Grow It, a name that I'm already loving, Amy talked about grieving the loss of someone she didn't know and a neighbour she wished she'd known better. She felt the loss for those going through it and for the awful thing that death takes away every time a life is claimed. And she used it to appreciate a day-to-day moment with her husband. Loss, whether a person, a thing, a dream, a skill, an ability, a body part, a hope, a relationship, a setup, a job, a building, an animal or a sense is still loss and you have every right to feel that loss as it affects you. Don't stay in it, but feel it and work through it. It's a journey, not a destination. It's a process, not a sticking point. In Amy's Instagram post, she wrote a poem and it's this poem that I'm going to finish with today. Lamentation by Amy Wozczek-Smith The day you died, hummingbirds held vigil around the feeder's red plastic flowers. Like the prayers of saints, their wings never stopped, and the hum was a lamentation without lyrics, because who can put words to such grief? Surely their song was heard, in heaven as it was on earth. Surely their maker wept. Wept.